You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hi, everybody. How's it going, Al? And of course, our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What is up, Nate? Joining me in a little while will be MLB.com's Brian Hoke, so make sure to stick around for that part. But in the meantime, guys... How's it going? I, I hope everyone has power back now, right? How's this for a segue? How about the power that the Yankees are showing? Did you like that? <laughs> well nice. said. Well done. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this podcasting stuff. <laughs> but seriously, it, it's starting to feel normal watching baseball again. I didn't expect to feel that way in, in mid-August. How about you guys? Feels great. I mean, it's you know, it was it was such an exciting thing at first because you were just you know couldn't believe you were watching the game. You know, now you're kind of in the grind. You know, we're winning games, we're losing games. There's there's the ups and downs of a season, and you know, there's there's a lot of normalcy to that, and that's kind of nice. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, the only thing that seems abnormal is when the Yankees uh, don't hit a home run because it seems like it's pretty much a nightly occurrence uh, wherever they're playing, whether they're the home team or the road team or the home team playing in a road stadium, whatever the case may be. It seems like somebody goes deep every game. It's strange for me. I mean, I find myself more emotionally invested in every game this year than I think I've ever been, and certainly than I expected to be. I honestly thought it was going to be very easy to stay somewhat disconnected from the game just because of everything going on around, of all the competition for news space, of simply the fact that we're not at Yankee Stadium and really not at a lot of games and things like that. But I've almost found the opposite. I find when the team kind of lays an egg, it actually gets me down a little bit more than it might have under a normal circumstance. And and I mean, mostly it's just because I'm rooting for a special season that's going to give us a lot of great stories to write and make Yankees fans really happy. And certainly the fans who've been struggling a lot lately, I'd love to see something good happen for them. But it's strange. You'll you'll see a rally get snuffed out with the bases loaded or something. And I'm more frustrated than I might have been in the past. I can understand that. I mean, obviously, John, your you know your loyalty to the pinstripes knows, knows no bounds. We've always said that, and this is another example of it. But you know, I similarly feel the same way. You know, we want so badly to kind of you know I, I've been using the word like salvage twenty twenty. You know, make something special about this year, and you know, and, and the Yankees represent a lot of hope for you know, something that would, you know, really uh, be a positive thing, a positive thing in New York City, a positive thing for the millions and millions of Yankees fans throughout the world. Uh, you know, there was so much hope when when Garrett Cole arrived and kind of on the heels of some near-miss type seasons. This is a weird year. You know, they're playing only 60 regular season games, obviously. Each one of them counts for a lot. And, 
you know, there was, a, there was a lot of excitement, especially out of the gate when it didn't seem like they were going to lose very much. I think reality certainly set in a little bit, but at the same time, they're still a really, really good team. And that's the thing. I mean, we're more than a quarter of the way through the season at this <laughs> point. We still have that new season like, excitement and everything like that. And yet, in a week and a half, we'll be halfway done. Is that right? I mean, something, something crazy like that? God, it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. And it, what I've noticed, too, is like not only am I more invested in the each win and loss, but like, you know, I, I try and watch, you know, as many games as I can throughout the course of a 162 game season. You know, occasionally you'll have some sort of schedule conflict. You might miss a game here or there. And, you know, during the dog days of August, normally that's not that big of a deal. You just catch up the next day or whatever. But now it's like if you miss a game, you feel like you've, you've missed a week. You're like, geez, what, what, you know, what happened? What's going on? Have the standings changed? So uh, not only am I, you know, do the, the wins and losses seem to mean more, but when you happen to miss a game, it just it takes on a whole different kind of level. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, Nate, you're talking about that superficially as observer, as a fan or writer, whatever you want to call it. It also applies to the guys on the field. As we're recording this, it seems like the reports are Giancarlo Stanton just got some pretty good news about his hamstring, which is that it's a just a very minor strain, and he's probably only looking at you know missing two to three weeks. Well, <laughs> that would be great in a 162-game season, but that's potentially half the year he's missing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just things like that kind of keep on happening. You know, if a pitcher has a bad outing, well, he's not getting 35 starts this year. He's getting maybe 16, 17. It's just everything is not 16 or 17. It's like 14 or 13. So it's just all very different. It's funny to kind of talk about, you know, you have these regular season like benchmarks in, in baseball, you know, 20 wins for a pitcher and 50 home runs or 40 home runs for a hitter or all this stuff. Like, what are those new benchmarks this year? You know, is it like the elusive eight-game winner, you know, for, for starting pitchers. Look, Aaron Judge still seems like he's primed at 50 home runs, though. <laughs> yeah, I think about those, uh, you know, relievers often talk. I, I think uh, Tommy Canely said uh, one of the bits of advice that Zach Britton gave him was like, as a reliever, don't look at the score. Don't look at your ERA until like at least a month of the season has gone by. And I, I feel like that's going to be super hard for guys this year like if you have like a couple rough outings at the start of the season you got a uh, a bloated era it's you know that clock is ticking you're going to want to get that thing down in a hurry so i bet those guys are, are feeling the pressure to keep their numbers good uh early on here as well well let's totally ignore uh tommy canley and zach burton's advice then and let's speculate based on just 15 games into the season because obviously DJ LeMahieu in mid-August is hitting nearly 400, so that's something. He's a machine, and it's uh, he's like a multi-hit machine. I, I feel like uh, at least half his game so far it seems like he's had multiple hits in, which is uh, kind of picking up right where he left off last year. I was going to say, it's hard to be too terribly surprised about that because we did watch it over a full season a year ago. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think about you know how many times last year, probably on this podcast and, and in private conversations with each of you guys, you know, I, I kept repeating that this is the best player on the New York Yankees, at least in, in 2019. Uh, I obviously kind of feel similarly this year, but it just keep going back to how much of a, almost an afterthought it was when the Yankees acquired him. And now he's become, you know, really one of the cornerstones of this team over a two year period. And besides being a, you know, a real joy to watch and just an amazing hitter and 
um, you know, the importance that he's brought to the lineup and the importance that he represents, I should say, for the team, the team's success and, and the team's prospect of success. It's pretty incredible to think about when you kind of go back to, you know, how his signing was, you know, was overshadowed by that of, you know, Troy Tulowitzki. It is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I don't think any of us really fully grasped what kind of a ball player DJ LeMahieu is. I mean, he's just the type of guy, you know, if you got a, uh, like a, we all do, you know, young kids who are, who are getting into baseball f- for the first time. I mean, there's really few and far between better players to tell a, a young kid, hey, watch how DJ LeMahieu plays the game of baseball. I mean, just his approach on both sides of the ball, everything he does, the way he carries himself, something to be modeled, in my opinion. So, Nate, I think it's uh, fair to say at this point, as even though it's still mid-August on the baseball calendar, we are putting the finishing touches on our September issue of Yankees Magazine. You have been working on a DJ LeMahieu story since basically early this past winter, which we're finally going to get to run in September, as it turns out. Obviously, anytime you're sitting on a story like that for so long, you're just waiting for something to go wrong or something bad to happen. And I'm sure I'm jinxing it right now, but maybe (laughs) maybe that's the point of holding a story like DJ LeMahieu, because you can have that confidence that he's going to keep doing exactly what he does. It's the only way he knows how to do things. Yeah. Let's hope you didn't just jinx me there, John. Good job. (laughs) Uh, No, I am. I'm really excited to finally uh, unveil this story. It's one of, I, you know, DJ, as we all know, is a man of few words. He prefers to kind of let his play do his talking. But I was really fortunate that uh, I had a, a good long conversation with him down at Spring Training 1.0 uh, down in Tampa this winter. So the story's based around that. But um, I did a lot of research, a lot of talking to people who have known him for a long time. And I think that this story is really going to uh, illuminate DJ in a way that uh, Yankees fans have never really had an opportunity to see before. Look, I, I think you're having read the story. I think you're right. I think it's a really beautiful look at just how complex he is in a lot of ways. And, and I think he likes to give off an air of simplicity somewhat. But I, I know that myself having kind of struggled through in some ways a, a feature on him that I really actually did enjoy writing despite the difficulty that I did last <laughs> year. It's it, it, it's fun almost because he doesn't give you much and he forces you to kind of work around the margins in some ways. And you come away, obviously, wishing that he had been a bit more open and wishing that he had said more. But I know for me, maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I know for me, I came away feeling even more respect for him because of the work I kind of had to do to figure out who I was talking to in some ways. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange. Like people like that it makes you like want to try that much harder to get to know them. So uh, yeah, I I definitely kind of felt the same way. And uh, I made sure that, you know, when I went into my interview, I had a, a, you know, a long list of questions that I, you know, was hoping he would kind of give me more than his, you know, when you get him in the locker room after a game or whatever, you know, he's going to give you whatever you need, but it's going to be pretty terse. And uh, you know, that's just the way he rolls. But you know, the the subject matter that I wanted to get into uh, with him, uh, was a little different than your typical, you know, day-to-day grind type stuff. So, you know, we talked about his family and his upbringing and just sort of his mental approach and, and a lot of different things that uh, he gave really, really good, interesting answers to. And I think coupled with the stuff I was able to get from, like, I talked to, like, two of his best friends from Michigan. And, you know, we got some really cool photos, like, 
uh, there, there's a photo of his, his dad, who's like a huge part of his life uh, from a personal and a baseball standpoint. Uh, we got a, a photo of his dad from his college playing days back in the 70s. So uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. And I, I'm positive that our readers are really going to enjoy it. I know they will. It's always interesting this time. Like I said, this reminds me in a lot of ways of mid-April usually when we've just come off this you know, grind of getting through opening day. And before you know it, we're, we're into the May magazine already. And I, I think in some ways, I, I don't want to denigrate our May magazine usually, but I, I feel like for me at least, it's kind of sometimes a project that you just kind of hope to get through and then you can move on to the rest of the season. Well, it doesn't really work that way when it's September. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're producing a magazine right now that's probably going to be the last monthly magazine to tell the story of the 2020 season and just going through, you know, we don't want to give it all away yet, but just going through some of the things that we're working on. I'm really excited by it. I think it's a special issue that we're putting together. I, I agree. It's going to be a really special issue. And, and, I, and I look forward to uh, future podcast episodes here coming up before the leaves, you know, officially start turning to kind of talk about the different things in that, in that issue. But yeah, of course, starting with the story we just spoke about on DJ LeMayhew, which is really a, an amazing read. And we were planning on doing this in May, obviously, but we're still able to celebrate our big anniversary, the anniversary, of course, of Yankees magazine turning 40 years old. You know, and that's a big part of this, this issue as well. And, you know, I, I'm just so excited about that. We all contributed to it. It makes me very proud just to, to kind of think about just the longevity of, of, of our staff, of you, John, and Nate, and, and me, and the the amount of years combined we've really contributed to what, which, what has been a really special 40 years, I think that really comes out in this uh, celebration, if you will. And it's going to be a real special magazine. I, I can't wait. Yeah. And, and John, just to go back to your comparison sort of to the May magazine, I feel like the May magazine is, is often like a, a sneaky strong issue for us because we always do so many stories during the off season and spring training we can't jam them all into the april issue so the may issue has tended to have a lot of those ones that like we're super excited about but we got to hold them till may also because we're cranking that one out in mid-april when there's only been a handful of games played there's not a whole lot to say about the current season so we are in kind of a similar situation that like we've got a few stories that we've kind of been hanging on to that you know some of them were reported last off season or during the spring that uh, I'm really excited to finally be able to unveil. But then also, in addition to that, like I said to you, John, earlier this week, you know, I think we've, we're doing a, a really good job of also incorporating coverage of just this bizarre season. And I know the story that you're working on and that Jake is working on, uh, you know, kind of wrap that into, you know, a kind of larger narrative, which uh, I think makes for a really strong issue. And uh, people, you know, they should be excited when they get this in their mailboxes come uh, September. Well, it's a pretty special thing we get to do because normally our job, or I guess often our job, is to kind of go some places where the the readers can't go. So normally that means going on the road with some of these players, going to their hometowns and things like that. It's kind of bizarre that this year, one of those places where the readers can't go is actually to Yankee Stadium. Right. And I know that Al and I have both been able to to make it to, I, I've been to two games so far. I think, Al, you've been to one. And this is what I, I'm writing about for September, so we'll talk about it later. But it's surreal. And, and, and it's hard to express because in a lot of ways, what's surreal about it is that it seems very normal for like 45 seconds of every minute. And then all of a sudden, a foul ball is hit. 
and you you track the ball and you're like, oh right, there's no one here, and and, yeah. and, and things like that are just very bizarre. But like I said, th- th- there's plenty of time over the course of the next month to talk about that. Why don't we take a little break now? And when I come back, we're going to have Brian Hoke here from MLB.com. Brian obviously can give us some sense of what he's seeing from the team on a day to day basis. So stick around. Hi, this is George Scheller. You are listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Jim. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. Hey, folks. It's Bucky Dent. Proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As promised, joining me right now, we have MLB.com's Brian Hoke. How's it going, Brian? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm good. You know, it's everything kind of gets judged now on the fact that most of my nights are filled with watching baseball. So compared to how I was a month ago, I'm doing fantastic. (laughs) It's nice, right? I mean, uh, you know, I remember having these conversations with you back in April and May, and we were wondering if there would even be baseball this year. I, I certainly had my doubts about uh, walking into Yankee Stadium back then. So, um, yeah, the, the fact that the Yankees are on the field almost every night and playing ball, um, yeah, I guess we can't argue with that. No, for sure. And, and that's actually what I want to talk with you about because, Brian, uh, you, you have the – what I would really call this here – I mean, I think your job is always a distinct privilege, but it, it's very strange this year – because there are just so few people who get to see what it's like to be at a baseball stadium this year. And you're one of them. I've been to two games thus far. I mean, that doesn't even hold a candle to what you've done. So I guess what I want to hear about a little bit is just as simple as it sounds. What's it like to be at a baseball stadium in 2020? Well, let me start by saying I really miss the fans being there. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't think I would miss it as much as I have. I, I guess no, none of us really knew what to do or what to expect and we've never been in that situation before and um i I guess i would liken it to extended spring training games when you're down in florida and and say a pitcher had to go and get some work done against some minor leaguers and there's nobody there and it's just this quiet kind of serene almost lacking energy kind of atmosphere and we saw a lot of that during summer camp i think that the fact they've piped in the artificial noise has helped a little bit um, you know, sometimes it's funny when the crowd reaction, fake crowd reaction, doesn't match up exactly with what's uh, going on on the field. But it, it definitely has a um, an artificial feeling to it. And look, I mean, given the situation that we're in right now, I, I'll take this over nothing. 
but I really just can't wait for that energy to be back in the building and the fans to be there. And, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox had a series and a few of the guys were saying like, imagine how like juice this place would be right now. Yankees, Red Sox and night game, um, national television. And it's just not there. I mean, are you kidding me? A, a, a Gio Urshela grand slam against the Red Sox. Yeah. Imagine having 45,000 people in the building and that would have been awesome. And uh, instead he just kind of rounds the bases and, you know, gets high fives from his teammates or, socially distant high fives and it's different uh we'll take it over nothing but i really can't wait for things to get back to normal maybe this is a little bit too much of how the sausage is made so forgive me obviously i spend a lot of time not quite as much as you do but i spend a lot of time in the press box at the yankee stadium and while there's often a baseball game going on in front of me usually if i'm in there I have my headphones on, either transcribing quotes or honestly, frankly, just trying to block out some of the noise because Yankee Stadium can be very loud, both naturally and artificially sometimes. And, you know, I, I'm always kind of looking at my laptop, whether a story I'm writing or, like I said, quotes I'm transcribing or just scrolling Twitter. One thing I really tried to do for the two games I've been to so far is just turn everything off and just kind of stare out at the baseball field more than I usually do. Mm-hmm just to pick up on some of the surreality. I really wanted to not just experience a baseball game, but to understand just how surreal it was. And I got, it, it was surreal. I, I was saying this to the other guys uh, earlier on the show. It's strange to me because for most of the time, I would say, I think I, I said about 45 seconds out of every minute, you really do that thing where you're kind of locked in on the pitcher and the batter and where the ball's going and whatever. And then all of a sudden there's a foul ball and you realize that mm. there's just no one around you and it snaps you back each time. Or, you know, a home run. A home run goes out into the bleachers and you're, you're thinking there should be 25 people clamoring for this ball right now and instead it's just bouncing down the, uh, the bleachers and just going to lay there for a while. And so that, that part is, it takes you out of it. But I agree that uh, when you're watching, you know, the, the base of baseball, which is the pitcher-batter showdown, um, that part seems real and I, I think that when these guys get on the field their natural competitive juices or, or instincts do kick in and um, they've said that once the game is underway they're able to kind of lock in the same way that you just talked about uh, the competition feels real and it is real so there is just a lack of energy in the in the building and, and I feel that walking in you know I get to we do our little temperature check and we walk in through, you know, pick up the, the press credential and uh, go up the elevator and there's just nobody there. There's maybe five photographers wandering around the 200 level and it's like, this should be packed. People should be buying programs and uh, hot dogs and getting ready for the game. And instead it's just kind of empty. And so, yeah, it's, it's strange. It's got this post-apocalyptic feel to it and, you know, it, it's not forever. This will go back to normal, but I don't know when that's going to be. I was talking to Michael Kay the other day, and the word he used was dystopian. And yeah, I, that's I, a good I thought, one. I thought that was pretty accurate. That's a good one. So obviously, we, we could talk for a long time about what's not there right now. But, but I think it, it's just as fascinating for me to kind of get back into that mode of talk about what is there. And again, on the previous segment, we spent a lot of time talking about DJ LeMahieu, who continues mm-hmm. to just get two to three hits a day, but there's just, there, there are so many small things that I've enjoyed just watching on the field right now, whether it's Jonathan Holder having a sneaky, great start to the season. We kind of were excited about the Garrett Cole starts that we would get to see. 
And I think that in his most recent one, we finally saw true, true vintage Garrett Cole for a couple innings. And yet that's the only start this year that he hasn't gotten the win in. So it's just, it's, it's just so fun seeing the weirdness of baseball back in our lives. Well, I think it's the drama. It's the everyday drama of it. Um, you know, you, you miss that. You, we definitely missed it in April, May, June. Just kind of the rhythm of the game of knowing that the Yankees are going to be on the field tonight. And uh, I think, you know, it, it's the soundtrack of our summer in a lot of ways. I love turning on the radio and hearing John and Susan again and just knowing that they're there, knowing that your friends are going to be there to bring you the action. And it's been good to, to have baseball i know it's a sprint to the finish here it's only going to be 60 games and then we're going to be thrown right into a postseason uh, that's going to look a little different um than we're used to but um it, it's just it's nice to have it back um nice to have the storylines going nice to give us and everybody something to talk about other than um you know the, the stuff that's going on in the country and the world here Let's talk about if DJ LeMay, who can hit 400 this year. Um, I, I, let's talk about if Garrett Cole is going to strike out 15 in a game this year. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely been a positive to have it back, I think. I think that seeing some of the things that give the game so much charm, and, and you know, I mean, things like Gio Urshela continuing to do what he's doing. I mean, Luke Voigt, just basically half his jersey flapping open and yet hitting Always. a home run every, every third at bat. <laughs> it's just, yeah. look, I, I don't want to take anything away from Aaron judge who has been amazing. I think there's a level of expectation, maybe unfairly. So that comes with an Aaron judge at bat right now, but I, I, I've alluded to it already. When Gio Rochelle comes up and hits a grand slam and you, you're kind of torn between the sense of being shocked that it happened and also just kind of nodding your head and just being, yeah, that's what, that's what that guy does. <laughs> Yeah, what, what an investment. I mean, that might go down as one of Brian Cashman's best moves, the fact that they got Urshela. Nobody even talked about this guy. It was in 2018. They got him from the Blue Jays for cash. It was $25,000, which is the price of, what, a Hyundai Santa Fe? And uh, the fact that he's now locked in at third base and uh, he made the job his own. He, he wasn't given it. Uh, he stepped in when and Miguel Andujar got hurt. and um, He's just kind of made that job his own and he looks like uh, the kind of guy you want to build an infield around. So he's been terrific. It's always to me, one of the most impressive things about the Yankees and about team building. I'm not going to pretend for a second that the Yankees don't have a lot of financial advantages and that they don't flex their muscles. But if you look around that clubhouse for the most part, especially the major league clubhouse right now, most of those guys in there are not there because the Yankees, you know, threw open the wallet and, and outspent everyone. It was because they just did a better job identifying talent and building teams. And does it help when you can make mistakes that the Yankees can make? Sure. Does it help when you can supplement that with Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton? Of course. But any team could have had Aaron Judge. Any team obviously could have had Gio Rochella. You have to think every, any team could have had DJ LeMayhew. And, and you can keep going down the list like that. It's just, it's not, it's easy to dismiss a lot of what the Yankees front office does because of the advantages that they have. But I just don't think that that's realistic when you look at the way the team is actually built. Well, this is where we really need to give credit to Brian Cashman for, as he says, surrounding himself with smarter people than himself. And so he's got this robust analytics crew. And you're right. Look, it, it does not take a whole lot of imagination to write a big check for Garrett Cole. Like everybody knew that that was the move to make. But did people see Gio Urshela? No. Did people see Luke Voigt? Nobody really knew about Luke Voigt. Uh, 
and, and he's turned in to be a starting first baseman at the big league level. Uh, Mike Talkman. I mean, who knew about Mike Talkman when he was in Colorado system? I, I think he'd hit under 200 in uh, 54 big league games, something like that. They've done a really good job of identifying undervalued talent in other people's organizations and making moves to go get those guys. That's just three examples there in the last couple of years. And, you know, you've only got nine spots on a team. Three is pretty good. Absolutely. And I mean, even, even, even some of the bigger names there, let's talk about Glaber Torres and uh-huh. we'll obviously ignore his struggles right now, but again, the Yankees had an asset in, in a closer that they bought undervalued when they got him in a world of Chapman the Cubs desperately needed a closer because that was the difference between the Cubs winning the World Series and not winning the World Series. You expect they did win the World Series. And so the Yankees ended up with Gleyber Torres. Are there maybe not 28, but are there 10 other teams that could have made that same trade? I think so. It just, they, they, they figured out how to do it and they figured out how to identify the talent that they were looking for. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in being fairly confident that Gleyber Torres is not going to continue struggling like this for very long. Again, we could just keep repeating ourselves forever, but I think too often the Yankees get dismissed as a team that is built around huge checks and dollar signs. And that's obviously something, that's an advantage they have. I don't want to take away from it, but that is not the reason that they won 103 games last year, especially when you consider that most of those biggest contracts that they had last year didn't play. Well, let's just talk about that July 2016 deal for a second. Let's roll the clock back. That was a very bold move by Cashman and the Yankees front office because they had to essentially raise the white flag on a season. They had to look at themselves in the mirror, take a hard look and realize that team was not good enough to win the World Series. You had an aging core of guys. You had Mark Teixeira, you had Alex Rodriguez, guys who were past their prime. You had Carlos Beltran there. This was a team that could be competitive. They could they could bring in fans, but they recognized that it was time to turn the page, that they needed to tear it down. They needed to call up guys like Aaron Judge and Tyler Austin, who hit home runs in their first at bat and brought some new energy into the building. And, and meanwhile, uh, like you said, they had a closer. And if you're not going to win the World Series, you don't really need a top play closer. Like, it doesn't really matter, you know? So uh, they were able to cash him in go to the Cubs. And that's one of those rare deals that I think both sides are going to be very happy with. Look, the Cubs won the World Series for the first time in 108 years. How do you argue with that? And Glaber Torres is going to be in the Yankees infield for probably a decade. So I, I think it's uh, one of those deals that worked for both sides. But, um, you know, give credit to Cashman and to Hal Steinbrenner for swallowing hard and tearing it down because I think a lot of teams would probably have stayed the course and just said, go for it. Let's try and Let's try and get into the postseason again this year, but passed on that opportunity to get a, uh, a franchise-level talent in Glaber Torres. So, Brian, in addition to the general baseball analysis we come to expect from you, uh, a lot of people don't know you showed some serious chops the other day in uh, getting yourself a foul ball for, for your very <laughs> famous daughter, Penny. I want to talk about you know that play you made. How did you see it off the bat? And... You know, where you shifted? What was your positioning like in that situation? I'm just happy I didn't tear anything. <laughs> you know, I've been carted out of Yankee Stadium twice now. I don't need to be um, <laughs> on a wheelchair or something again. So, uh, no, there was a foul ball. Actually, it was Jay Bruce. I wrote it down just to, because when I was a fan, I, I caught four foul balls as a fan. And I remember writing down the inning, the pitcher, the batter, the stadium, all that stuff. And I still have them. So, um, as soon as I, I caught it, look, there wasn't a lot of competition. It wasn't like I had to fight anybody for it. It just kind of 
came into the press box. It was a foul ball. And, uh, you know, it was Garrett Cole's first Yankee Stadium start. So that was pretty cool. And um, normally, under normal circumstances, foul ball comes in the press box and we look for a kid in the 200 level down there to toss it to. And, you know, there's nobody there. So I guess I'll bring it home for my four-year-old daughter. And she'll- I was going to say, I think <laughs> yeah. there's a kid, uh, a very, a, a, a newly uh, Twitter and Instagram famous kid in particular that you can give that <laughs> well, ball to. She's she's very lucky she knows somebody on the inside. But yeah, like I said, uh, yeah, that was the weirdest part. Like I, I did step out of my chair and kind of move to catch it. And then I realized that ball's coming in hard. I'm not going to catch it on the fly. And so I just let it kind of bounce and then uh, you, your instinct is pick it up and look for a little boy or a little girl in the stands and then there was nobody there so it goes it, it is it is something that i'm curious about though being more serious now I, I don't think brian that you've ever covered baseball from your house but you've had to do that a lot this year because you're not traveling for most of the road games and i think it's interesting that you're doing this at the same time that a lot of yankees fans are watching paul o'neill do this on the tv but I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what has it been like for you to try to do your job? It's different. I mean, you know, look, uh, all of our there's no face to face interaction with the players. For the listeners who don't know this, um, you know, we're doing everything on Zoom this year. So there's a a lineup of Zoom calls that the Yankees media relations department will set up for us on any given day. And um, so, for example, today, as we're recording this, um, we're going to get. Matt Blake, the pitching coach, we know that. They sent out a schedule. Uh, we're going to get Clint Frazier, and then we'll get Aaron Boone, pregame. And then, you know, postgame calls will be based upon whoever is relevant in the game. We'll obviously get Boone and then uh, probably the starting pitcher, which is Masahiro Tanaka tonight. And so the days when you can say, oh, you know, I'm really interested in something that Luke Voigt did in last night's game. So I'm going to go to his locker, and I'm going to talk to him one-on-one and get into that. You can't do it. You're, you're kind of – just living on who is available at the time. And that's okay. But uh, look, if, as I said earlier, we're happy to have baseball. So I think we're all just kind of understanding that this year is going to be different. So the coverage is different this year. And, um, you know, would I prefer, have preferred to have traveled with the team to Tropicana Field for that four-game series? Yeah, I, I would have. But given what's going on in the world here, I don't necessarily want to get on a plane to go to Florida right now. So I think we're all just kind of making adjustments. Um, certainly, look, a lot of people are dealing with things tougher than I can't go to a ball game. So um, I, I'm not going to complain about it. But the coverage is different just based upon it's all in a press conference setting, kind of like we do during the postseason, John, where you're not allowed in the clubhouse pregame. And so, you know, you're, you're basically just relying on who comes into the interview room except the only difference is now the interview room is in your house. I think the hardest thing for me thus far, I, I can't stress how much of my time in the clubhouse is spent going up to somebody and just saying, can you explain what happened here to me? Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of, you know, I'm interviewing this person, not because I want to quote them, but because I want to learn more about what I saw and maybe use that to create a story down the line. And I, and I just find that everything I'm doing right now, unfortunately, I need to know exactly what my story is in advance. I can't observe right. something by talking to somebody and then turn that into a story. Yeah, and I don't want to get too inside baseball here, pardon the pun, but a lot of what we do doesn't come in a formal interview setting. You know, I, for example, if Chad Green is in, in, in the interview room, there's no small talk because the camera is on, everything's being broadcast to an audience. Um, I, I think that you need to kind of be on. There's no kind of just chit chat. And, and that's a lot of times what leads to a good story. And it is just kind of 
chatting with a guy and then he'll say, oh yeah, do you know, uh, did you notice that this happened? And I say, wait, I didn't notice that. Can you tell me more about that? But there's no, none of that back and forth in a Zoom call where you need to raise your hand and it's a formal interview setting and uh, you need to wait to be called upon. You've got, you know, you've got one shot to ask a question. There's either, you can't do the chit chat thing. So, um, and a lot of times that's where the details come from. That's where you build relationships, where you uh, gain a player's trust and that's kind of absent here. So I, the, the Yankees have been very good about it. They, I think that they're providing more uh, media access than some of the teams are. But, um, you know, it, it is just a different setting than getting to go up to a guy's locker and, and kind of talk to him for a couple minutes. For sure. Well, I think I speak for all readers of MLB.com, all Yankees fans would have you in saying that with all the limitations thus far, your coverage has been outstanding. I think that I hope, I assume I speak for you, Brian, when I say the Yankees media relations team has just done a, a great job thus far. It is not easy to be in charge of satisfying the needs of every single New York media entity in one motion. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit for it. And I think that if fans are enjoying still the stuff that they're reading and the information they're getting, as much as that's because of the writers who are doing it, it's also because of the way that the Yankees team is facilitating it. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit, but Hey man, we, uh, we're about, we're, we're a little bit more than a quarter of the way through the season already, <laughs> or about as, as you, as you might call it in other words, two weeks, but <laughs> it, it's been fun. I can't wait to keep watching. I can't wait to keep seeing what's going to happen. I can't wait to keep seeing what curveballs 2020 continues to throw at this team because Lord knows I think there'll be a bunch, but whatever, man. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time, as always. You got it, John. And you know what? Uh, you know, like we said, it's just great to have baseball back. And uh, the Yankees look good. And uh, I, obviously, this is a postseason team. I'm excited to see what the postseason brings. And I think that is actually where things are going to feel a little more normal when you have that familiar postseason setting and, and you've got the uh, – Look, when the lights come on in October, these guys know what to do. So I, I think uh, that is what I'm really looking forward to. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time today. Anything uh, beyond the stuff that we can look forward to on your stories on MLB.com, what else do you have in the hopper right now? <laughs> well, um, the paperback edition of Mission 27 is coming out in September. So look for that. I looked back, Mark Feinstein and I did with the 2009 Yankees 10 years later and um, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stories that weren't told at the time. And so if you haven't picked up a copy now is the great time. And that's out by uh, Triumph Books in September. So just in time for the postseason. Well, I'll tell you what, that book was incredibly fun in heavy hardcover fashion. I can only imagine how much fun it's going to be in a very portable paperback. There you go. Yeah. Carry it on the subway, bring it out to wherever you are, wherever you're being socially distant, hopefully wearing a mask. Everyone make sure to pick that up. Where can they get it? Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever books are uh, sold, bookshop.com. Uh, like I said, Triumph Books out in September. Great. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time today. You got that, John. Thank you. Take care. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from me and Brian today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our newest podcast that Bucky hosts. Each episode features conversations with former teammates and other greats from the game's history. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. It all really helps. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And now that Yankees Magazine is back in production, it's a great time as always to subscribe. 
Call 800-GO-YANKS or head over to yankees.com slash publications for more information and to start a new subscription, buy a back issue, maybe even gift someone who's a huge fan. There's so many options. Finally, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, including a story that we put up this week about Yankees phenom Jason Dominguez. You'll want to make sure to check that out. We're also on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.